Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us straight off the practice field in Nashville, Tennessee, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, gentlemen? Uh, another another quick recap here. We're a day late, so we'll keep it tight. But, you know, uh, we had a good tight practice today, like what we had uh, focus-wise. So I'm excited for this week. Let's get it on. Definitely, definitely. Well, we'd be remiss if we did not introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who will definitely not be making the drive back to Iowa City anytime soon. It's our intrepid blogger from the Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, stick a fork on the Hawks. They're done, everyone. Oh, yeah. it's uh, it, That was ugly. I, I, I'm sorry. In, in, my, uh, in, in my pool this week, I picked the, uh, the Wildcats to score the least amount of points of any team in the country, and then they put up, what, 38 on, on Iowa? Yes, they did. Yeah, so um, people not feeling great about uh, Captain Kirk over there, but that's a different story for a different time. A lot of high-profile matchups this weekend across the country, so uh, let's get right into it and start like we always do with some quick slants. Josh, off to you first. Yeah, so last year our theme was the year of the running backs, and there's been some nice running performances, but not as many until last Saturday. So I just wanted to highlight three names real quick. Ty Johnson against Purdue for Maryland had seven carries for 204 yards and two touchdowns. That is a video game stat line right there. In that 55-53 shootout that BYU won, they had Jamal Williams run for a school record 286 yards and five touchdowns. I believe during the telecast they said that was about a 50-year-old record, which makes sense because BYU was an air-raid offense for so many years, but that's an absurd stat line. And then a kid down in the FCS ranks, he's at the historically black North Carolina A&T, a teeny tiny school, Tariq Cohen, uh, one of the best players in all of FCS is this dynamite running back uh, in the A&T win over the Hampton Pirates. He had 26 carries for 256 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, those three guys are doing work, as we like to say. They definitely are doing some work. Coach, we know you love some uh, some good year of the running back stuff, so let's get it off to you for your first slam. Well, uh, my first slam is going to go to uh, the 4-0 Miami Hurricanes. They, they came out victorious on the flats, 35-21 over – over Georgia Tech and uh, scoring two back-to-back touchdowns from uh, from defensive players that uh, that uh, usually doesn't happen. So Joe Jackson an 18-yard fumble return, uh, and then uh, what's his name uh, Shaquille Quarterman preceded that with a 17-year-old fumble return, both off of uh, Justin Thomas, one in the run game, one in the pass game, off of a sack. Uh, two freshmen, two young guys getting it done. Games. Uh, Mark Rick has to like what he sees out of that. Uh, Brad Kaya uh, tag going on at the end there. 
to Stacy Coley on, for 31 yards. The stat line for, for Kaya, 13 of 19, 241 yards and one touchdown. Really didn't throw the ball a whole lot, but very efficient when he did. Joe Yuby uh, was leading rusher, nine carries, 65 yards and a touchdown. But the story of this game was Miami's defense. This was kind of what led me into the uh, Georgia-Tennessee game. Uh, this is the game I kind of focused on because uh, because of what we do at Lebanon offensively. I've been uh, following Georgia Tech a little bit more to make me a fan of the, the institution. Just makes me kind of uh, studying their offense. So I wanted to see, kind of see how they would do and kind of kind of check down and see how Coach Rick is doing down in Miami. Four zero, also a great start. Yeah, uh, your, uh, your your old coach there uh, is really looking good at his alma mater, and they they got things rolling starting four and zero. So my first slant going to take a quick look at the Mountain West with um, a couple of surprising uh, games. The biggest surprise of the weekend was definitely San Diego State headed heading to South Alabama and getting pummeled on the road. That usually very stout uh, defense for San Diego State was just. Um, you know, absolutely torn apart by uh, South Alabama, especially uh, their quarterback, Cole Garvin, who had went very efficient, 16 for 21, 242 yards and three touchdowns, um, and had a, a big day from his top wide receiver, Gerald Everett, who had a, over 100 yards and a score. Um, in the first leg of the Commander-in-Chief's trophy, Air Force had a nice home victory over Navy, um, uh, surviving a scare there in the fourth quarter, but um, eventually winning 28 to 14, um, Air Force uh, was really just able to um, actually get a lot of plays through the air, surprisingly enough. Jalen Robinette um, with a big game receiving 163 yards and a touchdown through the air. Don't usually see that out of these two schools, but they went to the, they went to the air a little bit more than usual, and it was, it was definitely fun to watch up there in Colorado Springs. Finally, um, our beloved Fighting Bobos lost uh, a tough one at home to the Pokes from Wyoming, 38-17. to 17. Um, Wyoming ran the ball all over um, the Bobos defense uh, with Brian Hill leading the way for the Cowboys, 166 yards and a touchdown. So Boise State keeps rolling along. So they're definitely in control in terms of both their division and the conference at large as um, they and Air Force are the only two remaining undefeated teams in the Mountain West right now. So um, things are definitely spicing up uh, there out in the West. And uh, Josh, I'll throw it to you for your second slant. Yeah, so as Matt just did with the Mountain West, one of the things that we love to do on the show is to look at every conference. This is a college football show, and uh, two smaller conferences that we haven't gotten into are uh, CUSA and the Sun Belt, so I just wanted to give a quick snapshot of them now that they've gotten their conference play underway. Everyone in CUSA but Marshall has at least one conference game under their belt, and in the East, uh, Middle Tennessee State, they're at it again. Coaches talk about them. They're, they're building a nice little program down there. Uh, Western Kentucky is also undefeated in conference, and we know how good the Hilltoppers have been lately. But the East, the surprise team early at 2-0 is Old Dominion. And granted, they've only played Texas San Antonio and Charlotte. But this is a very, very young program. And, uh, you know, they got worked in the non-conference against App State and NC State. Both of them were road games, but they're playing a lot better at home. They've got the two conference wins. Uh, this will be an intriguing storyline to see if they can keep it up. Out West, Southern Miss, like we all thought they would, is kind of running away with it. They're already 2-0. They're the only undefeated Western team. They've got that win over Kentucky in their 
back pocket. They have their loan loss is to Troy, and we'll be talking about Troy in a second because I said I was going to talk about the Sun Belt. So Troy is 2-0, 4-1 overall, and based on Troy beating Southern Miss, looking really good in their other games, their loan loss was a six-point battle at Clemson. Troy's impressed me so much. I have them 25th in my poll right now, and I know I'm not insane because in the coaches' poll, there's a coach who gave them a vote. So the Troy Trojans doing some really good stuff. The more usual suspects, Georgia Southern and App State, are also undefeated in conference play at 2-0 and 1-0. And as I talked about in the non in the uh, pre-conference show, the, the preview of this, uh, Georgia Southern and App State don't play each other because there's no divisions and there's no full round robins. So the Sun Belt race is always interesting because of that. And uh, we'll have to keep an eye on our brethren down in the uh, the smaller Sun Belt. Definitely, man. It's uh, I-, I was shocked when I read that you had the, the Detroit Trojans uh, number twenty five in your poll earlier today. But... I mean, I mean, they should have been waxed by Clemson. They gave them a battle. Maybe Clemson played down their competition. Maybe Troy's just better than we're giving them credit for. Yeah, I mean, they're in real fertile recruiting ground down there in Alabama. So, uh, Coach, what's your second slam? Well, um, the game that we talked about in our spread formations, Texas A and M. Uh, taking a road trip over to Columbia, South Carolina, taking on the Gamecocks. Uh, I picked them. I picked South Carolina to cover at home, and they did just that uh, by a score of 24 to 13. They didn't win, but uh, they did cover the spread, which I kind of figured would happen. It's it's a it's a lackluster game on the road uh, in this conference, and those are very easy trap games. This could have been very well our trap game of the week, uh, given the situation, but. You know, A&M was able to handle it, get the victory. Uh, it was kind of – emotionally, it was kind of a letdown for, for A&M. Um, you expected more out of that bunch, but uh, you didn't really get it. Uh, Trevor Knight, 23 of 40 for 206 yards, didn't have a touchdown. Uh, Trey Williams, 14 carries, 98 yards and a touchdown. You'd like to see him get two yards just so he get triple digits there. Uh, their leading receiver, uh, Tobio, four catches, 89 yards. Perry Orth was 11 of 18 for 138. Uh, Turner had 10 carries for 113 and a touchdown, so he kind of kept South Carolina in it. Um, it was kind of one of those slow games that I had a hard time paying attention to because because of the pace of it and because it just kind of was one of those type games where it was just a bad team and a team that played down to the, to the competition. So I figured I would just kind of cover it because, A, um, South Carolina was able to cover the spread. B, uh, just to get Texas A&M's name out there uh, one one time before we do our preview show for this week coming up um, with their big matchup against Tennessee. Um, but uh, it's just one of those that struck me as um, you know I don't think I don't think Texas A&M has anything to worry about here. But um, you know they're definitely uh, apt to playing down to their competition. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was very. Uh, impressed with South Carolina's ability just to hold them 24 points, you know. Um, you know, you think of Will Muschamp as a defensive guy, but they don't have as much talent there at South Carolina as the last couple stops he's been at. So They don't have any talent, really. So, keep, you know, to keep A&M to 24 points with those big receivers that they have, that was uh, pretty impressive. My final slam, uh, uh, just looking at um, 
my home conference out here, the Pac-12, uh, UCLA uh, had a great offensive performance against a very depleted Arizona squad. So not surprised to see them win, but really nice to see Josh Rosen really get back on track with 350 yards and three touchdowns. Two of those to Kenneth Walker, including a big 62-yarder to blow up to blow up the game uh, in the third quarter. Um, Cal on the road, upset of Utah, 28-23. Davis Webb, another great game with 300-plus yards and four touchdowns. Um, the Buffs of Colorado are absolutely rolling. Get on, get on board with the stampede, baby. 47-6 to against a hapless Oregon State squad. They are looking really good in the South. Um, and as of right now, they are actually the only undefeated team left in the South. So they are actually in the driver's position. Who would have guessed that before the season besides our venerable Josh Cook? Um, USC got a back in on track, uh, beating a previously undefeated Arizona State team 41-20. to Sam Darnold uh, starting to look like he's really got – um, you know, got things going there as uh, the starting quarterback for USC, 350 plus yards, three touchdowns. And finally, Oregon is uh, coming, crashing, burning down to earth. They're under 500. They got blowed out by Wazoo, 51 to 33. Luke Falk, um, a ho-hum game for him, 370 yards. Royce Freeman's about all Oregon has on offense right now. Dakota Prukop is actually going to be bent this week in favor of true freshman quarterback Justin Herbert. So their big matchup against Washington is they're going to be throwing not a true freshman. That looks like a very scary thought if you are a Ducks fan. Not quite as scary, though, as the uniforms are going to be wearing. <laughs> so um, time for us to get uh, into some deep roots. And um, so we're going to start uh, with that Washington team that we just mentioned will be playing Oregon uh, this coming week. They uh, put um, what uh, Mike Wilbon would call a – that was a beat-down situation – uh, in Seattle this past week, uh, 44 to six Stanford didn't even show up. Um, I'm not sure if the team left Palo Alto, the, the Washington defense was, uh, simply astounding. So Josh, where do you want to start in this game? Well, I think the defense is a good one and uh, very rarely do I feel right <laughs> when predicting a game and, I sort of thought that Washington needed to do what UCLA did, and that was find a way to shut down the Stanford passing game with using single coverage. And when Christian McCaffrey gets the ball, hit him really hard. And that's exactly what Washington did. Uh, they stole the UCLA blueprint, and that's going to be what teams are going to do all year to Stanford now. Uh, Ryan Burns is going to have to step up. David Shaw is going to have to figure out some new ways to make that offense pop. But what I don't think any of us foresaw was the Washington explosion. And you know, losing all those corners for Stanford, um, both of their starting corners are, are week to week with injuries. So I think Stanford can bounce back once they get those guys back. But, um, you know, Washington just exploded offensively. And Jake Browning, 15-21, 210 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, that's that's the stuff you dream about if you're a Husky fan, and he was able to deliver. So I think it was a combination of Washington's defense being able to do the UCLA blueprint and the Stanford defense being a little banged up and Washington wisely taking advantage of the holes in Stanford secondary. Coach? I'll be honest. Uh, well, I, I, had to, I had to watch this game uh, – I had to kind of check the highlights and watch bits and pieces of it when I got home from, from my game Friday night. Um, being uh, Having said that, what little bit of it 
I saw, I noticed that Washington was able to have their way with it, uh, with Stanford. Uh, they were able to do whatever they wanted to. They were able to kind of function as they saw fit. They didn't really run into any roadblocks. Christian McCaffrey wasn't much of a factor. It just didn't seem like Stanford was had any energy. It didn't seem like they had any urgency. It didn't seem like they just were ready to play at all. They weren't there mentally. It just like the team traveled up to, to Seattle and, and, and they let their, their heads down in uh, Palo Alto. Just kind of just they seemed off and they just never got it. And, um, yeah, and, I was, and Washington you know, was able to take advantage. As far as this game was, I was super impressed with Washington's balance. 214 yards on the ground, 210 through the air. Um, they were just – Stanford had no answer for whatever Washington decided to do. And that is so strange coming from a Stanford team, which, you know, for the last decade or so has always had a very good defense, especially against the run. But they could not stop the offensive line of uh, the Huskies from opening up really big holes. I was really, really impressed with that offensive line. Um, you know, uh, they have some really great linemen on that Stanford defensive front, and they were just getting blowed up. So, um, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, is right. That was uh, definitely a, uh, a fun one to watch if you're a Husky fan. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, I think, is Heisman uh, candidacy. will definitely take a blow after that game. He did not look like he was um, on, his, uh, on his top game for that. Uh, let's head over from Friday night to uh, uh, one of the many top ten matchups on uh, Saturday where uh, the Wisconsin Badgers headed into the big house and lost by only a score to Michigan, but – that's not really indicative of, of the game. Michigan was a the, definitely the superior team, especially with their defense. Um, uh, Michigan's offense was uh, rough, to say the least, especially their kicking game. They missed three field goals in this game. Um, they ended up uh, benching their starting kicker, kicker, Kenny Allen, after two misses to burn the red shirt on true freshman Ryan Tice, who came in and proceeded to miss a field goal himself. So... Um, but the play of the game was uh, Amara Darbo, a uh, 46-yard bomb from uh, Wilton Spade right over uh, Wisconsin corner Derek Tindall for uh, a touchdown, which ended up being the winning score in the game. So, Josh, what did you see here from uh, the Wolverines? Well, if I'm a Wolverine fan and dreaming of the trip to Indianapolis, dreaming of a trip to the playoffs, uh, I'm highly, highly concerned because – the biggest weakness that Michigan had a year ago was their inability to run. And that reared its ugly head against the first quality defense Michigan has faced this year. They had 130 yards on 44 carries. That's only a 3.0 average. They only had one rushing touchdown because they had all those drives stall and field goal territory. Uh, their starter, Davion Smith, continues to just be pedestrian, 66 yards, 17 carries, no score, 3.9 average. The bulk of that 66 came on his one 16-yard carry. That means the rest of it are all nickel and dime stuff. And I don't want to say that Wisconsin lost this game because of injuries. You know, their defense was banged up, but their defense still performed. Their offense is, for the most part, fully healthy, so – Let's give credit to Michigan's defense for being championship caliber. But I don't see how this team can produce enough rushing yards, therefore be balanced enough against a team like Ohio State. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to echo exactly what you said, Josh. I mean, it's got to be, you know, if I'm, if I'm any other fan besides Michigan fan, I'm, I'm kind of concerned. Even if I'm Ohio State, I'm a little concerned. 
I'm really concerned about Michigan State because I don't know what the heck's happened to them. But, um, I, you know, Wisconsin, they have some good things going for them. They're scrappy. They're playing hard. They're, it seems like they're dominating up front a little bit. It seems like they're, they're, they're defensively, they're, they're holding teams and making, making teams win ugly against them, which is what you want out of a defense, especially if you're going to be in an underdog situation. But, man, I, I, I like the resiliency of this Michigan team. Uh, how how they were tested early and often, and they just they kept grinding, kept grinding, kept grinding. They just found a way to win this game. Uh, it wasn't the prettiest of wins, but they found a way. And then those kind of situations are dangerous because you get a good, talented team like Michigan that finds a way to win. It's a, you know it's a recipe for you know for success if if you're Michigan or if you're Ohio State, you got to be there and be worried because you know. They've kind of cruised through all their games, even though they played a couple of tough opponents. They've cruised through all of their games to, to this point. So but it, it'll be interesting to see what happens Thanksgiving weekend uh, when, uh, when those two teams collide. Yeah, the one thing that uh, I would really concern me if I was a Badger fan was the, the play of the offensive line. They were down uh, their top two left guards, uh, John Dietzen and Micah Kapoy, and so they had to shift their center over to guard and put in a, a redshirt freshman walk-on center who just got absolutely uh, beaten up by the interior of the Michigan defensive line. So they had no real holes for Corey Clement and the rest of the backs to run through. Um, well, here's why I'm not concerned as a Badger fan, to be honest with you. Um, they're probably going to lose to Ohio State. Let's just assume that that's the case. But they got the win. They got the one of the three that they had to win. And if they managed to win out after the Ohio State game, they'll be 7-2. and uh, That will include a win over Nebraska. But Nebraska has a game at Ohio State. So the tiebreaker favors Wisconsin. Wisconsin is still in the driver's seat of the Big Ten West. And I think that a one loss, maybe even a two loss, depending on how things shake out, the 10 team is still going to be in the playoffs. So it, it was, you know, a hard-fought loss, but everything that Badger fans want is still on the table. Oh, yeah, it, it definitely is. It definitely is. This was supposed to be a rebuilding year for Wisconsin anyway, so to see them play so well in such a big spot was uh, very heartening. Uh, we've got to go to our next game. Uh, sorry we got to go through this, Coach. That was an absolute heartbreaker uh, in Athens with back-to-back Hail Marys. Uh, everyone's seen the highlights by now. So, Coach, if you want to just give us your thoughts here on, on the game. Well, uh, going into it, I was, uh, was kind of hard on the offensive line, and they uh, – you know, couldn't run block, receivers couldn't get separation, um, all that good stuff coming into it. Uh, those were the two main concerns uh, the DBs were uh, were playing, and, and they weren't playing too well either. So I uh, want to address those three things first. I thought the offensive line in the run game played tremendously. I still think there were some breakdowns in, in, uh, in pass protection, but you know, that's going to happen when you have a talented defensive, defensive front like the Volunteers brought. Uh, but I thought I thought Georgia ran the ball as well as they have all season. Um, defensive backs, I thought they played tremendously. Uh, they didn't get they didn't give up anything deep um, except for the last play. And uh, for for most of the game, they were able to come up with an interception. Uh, they were able to lock down receivers uh, pretty well. So I was pretty impressed with that. Safeties were playing in the run game uh, fairly well as well. I thought the defensive front got after it. They got off blocks. They played aggressively. They stunned it. They blitzed. 
they did all kind of things to, to mess with Josh Dobbs and that. I thought they really, I thought defense really outplayed Tennessee for probably three and a half, almost three and three quarters quarters. Um, and I thought, you know, offense played played well at times. Sometimes they stalled. Uh, Jacob Beeson, uh, one drive would look like a experienced veteran, and, and then the next series he looked like a freshman. Um, but uh, that throw we made to, to Riley Ridley uh, at the end of the game with 19 seconds left, that was a big league throw. Uh, Ridley, a freshman, that was his first action of the year. Um, and he, he had a tremendous game. Uh, he, he broke deep on that on that corner, got in between the corner and safety, and, and Eason, uh, Eason moved in the pocket, made a big league throw right there for the safety to get to it for the touchdown. Unfortunately, it didn't stand. So let's talk about the Hail Mary defense. I set all of that up uh, to come back to this Hail Mary play. Uh, if you go back and look at the replay, I think the guy they thought was going to get the ball, they had him smothered and surrounded. And then Jawan Jennings, my guy from Blackman, came – Came kind of sneaking in, and all of a sudden he just jumps up, and you know he's a he was a superstar uh, high school basketball player too. He probably could have gone and played basketball in college if he wanted to. Um, he has some leaping ability, and he's six four. He went up, and he just made a play on it. You know, I you know you can't you can't hang your head too long too long because you got to kind of look at the game as a whole. And as a Georgia fan, I know a lot of us are disappointed. I know I was disappointed, but I was encouraged as well at the performance that they had. They didn't they didn't lay down. They didn't quit. They fought the whole way. And Tennessee had a guy go up and make the play at the end of the game. And, uh, you know, Tennessee, Tennessee beat Georgia. I don't think Georgia beat Georgia. I think Tennessee beat Georgia in this game. Uh, but, uh, you know, they went out and made a play, when, when, you know, in the clutch. So, as upset as I was initially, you know, you got to kind of look forward to the next week and, you know, we'll preview, I'll preview that in my quick slant probably just to kind of see how they'll bounce back. But, you know, Tennessee, they're, you know, they're probably the most resilient team I've ever seen. They're the most, you, it doesn't matter how far they're down, how much they're down, what's going on at any certain point, they're going to find a way to be there in the end. And, and that, that's kind of what makes this Tennessee bunch special uh, is, is that they're never down and out. No matter what the score is, they fight, they fight, they fight. They're a veteran, experienced group. So I really like what I saw out of Tennessee. I thought they were a good job, and I thought they did a good job, and I thought they, uh, thought they deserved it. So, uh, you know, it was, it was a exciting game to watch. Uh, definitely, definitely. Josh, you got anything to add to that? Yeah, just on the Tennessee thing, one thing that um, I really liked about this team in the, in the uh, you know, when we were previewing everyone was their balance with Dobbs and Jalen Hurd. And it's just kind of been up and down this season. I think the Georgia game was a good example of that. He missed most of the second half with uh, what Butch Jones is called a lower body extremity injury. And yet practiced just fine yesterday um, and was held to 42 yards on 10 carries. Uh, either the line's not blocking well enough for him or – Something's just off with him, and at some point, one of these slow starts and lack of offensive balance is going to bite Tennessee. It'll probably be that Alabama game. Yeah. Um, I, you know you know what play did it for Jalen Hurd? I think he went to the tank after that play where he caught it. It was cruising in the end zone. He got crushed. Uh, and fumbled it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that uh, also, if I'm a Georgia fan, I'm taking away from this game is the tight ends finally got involved. Um, Isaac Nauta was, uh, had, had a big 50 yard touchdown catch and was just, uh, he was much more of a playmaker and kind of the game changer that you expect, expected him to see out of him, uh, coming out of high school. So that was, uh, that was really nice, uh, you know, see Eason and, uh, his tight end started to sort of get a, a rhythm. Uh, one game we just, I want to touch on like super duper fast is the upset, uh, by the Tar Heels over the Florida State Seminoles in Tallahassee, uh, breaking a 22 game home winning streak for Florida State. Um, Mitch Trubisky had himself a game, 400 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Josh, you got anything to add real quick about this game? Well, with Florida State's terrible defense, giving up points left and right and yards, uh, their offense can't continually to sputter in the first halves. They're down 21-7. And then the other thing is um, that pass interference was uh, a little dicey, but we've said in the past you can't let referee – you can't put yourself in a position to let a referee call or no call mess up your game plan. You've got to win the game earlier than, than that. And Florida State didn't. P.I. put them uh, – put the Tar Heels in, I like to call miracle field goal territory because who would have guessed he would drill a 54-yarder? Just a, just a strange game, but I really think Florida State shot themselves in the foot with a – Absolutely lackadaisical first half. Yeah, but those things will go back and bite you. Uh, and you can't do it against a team like North Carolina, who's shown week in and week out that they, they can, they're capable of going out and beating you. I, I don't know if they, I don't know if they just thought they came out there and was just feeling themselves a little bit, thought they could just turn it on and thought they had arrived, but they haven't. I'm not sold on DeAndre Francois just yet. I, I, I might, a lot of people might disagree with me, but I'm just something about him. Uh, I can't pinpoint it, but something about him just doesn't doesn't strike me as, as being an elite quarterback. He's just kind of that guy that's just out there uh, playing that position. He's just finding nobody else to step up. Uh, and then Dalvin Cook, I don't know where the heck he's been. Uh, I mean, he um, had. I mean, Dalvin Cook had had a, had a nice game. He had a 246 total yards and three touchdowns. So, but it just didn't seem like. You know, it, in the first half, it just seemed like everybody was lost. And, you know, I, I know he ended up having a good game because, you know, they had to come and rally from behind and they were leaning on him heavily. They finally found him. But, you know, it's just like, where is he at the beginning of the game when they had these lackluster starts? You know, he's got to be the guy that steps in there and doesn't let that happen. Yeah. But this is kind of surprising to me. That's kind of where I was getting at. But My um, question for Florida State is, who, who's covering Ryan Switzer? He had 14 catches for 158 yards. Like, put somebody on him. You got great defensive backs. Uh, they he got they burned them from the slot. And you knew it was coming, but he still got they still got eaten up um, by Trubisky and uh, uh, and that uh, aerial attack, which is surprising considering their, their two running backs didn't really get a whole lot on the ground. Just 133 yards total rushing as a team. So uh, we we got to end here uh, with uh, the biggest game of the week. Uh, that is. Clemson's uh, six-point victory over Louisville and Death Valley, 42-36. to 36. Uh, You know, there were Heisman moments left and right. So, uh, Josh, uh, what impressed you most in, uh, in this game? Well, what impressed me most of all was just both teams are so unbelievably good offensively that Clemson had five turnovers and Louisville had three. 
and yet they each put up 36 points or 42 points in the case of Clemson. I mean, when you have that many turnovers, 95% of teams are dead in the water. Um, I guess, you know, I didn't even move Louisville down in my rankings. I was so impressed. I kept Clemson two and I kept Louisville four. That's how even this game was. I don't think much was learned from it. Um, so if you're going to look at why Louisville lost, uh, they were a little bit more sloppy. They had 11 penalties for 104 yards. Clemson just had six for 61. Um, there were several false starts. So hats off to the, the Death Valley crowd for being so loud. Uh, and then the other thing is um, Louisville only went for it on fourth down once. And why am I bringing that up? Well, if you look over at the kicking stats, uh, Louisville's kicker, Blanton Criquet, I believe, uh, was three for three of, from field goals, but his longest was 28 yards. And when you include the touch, the end zone, and the seven yards for a snap, that's 17 yards, which means that his longest field goal came on a drive that stalled at the 11-yard line. If Louisville had been a little bit better in the red zone, they would have won that game. Coach, thoughts quickly? Love, you know, love the battle between the two Heisman Trophy quarterbacks. Uh, I thought Lamar Jackson lost his composure at times. Uh, you know, Clemson's defense did a good job of getting in his head. Um, and I think that kind of made the difference. Deshaun Watson was cool, uh, calm, collected, didn't panic ever. Uh, they had that run right there before halftime that kind of gave him most of the momentum that they needed to carry out and, and hang on to victory because he knew Lamar Jackson in Louisville was going to make a surge, but they just didn't quite have enough in the tank. And, and, and Lamar Jackson getting rattled there in the second quarter and just going, just taking his helmet off, going nuts uh, during a TV timeout. Just didn't. I, I just feel like it wasn't. He never, he never fully calmed down from. And I think when things got tough, he kind of it just they needed that extra yard and they weren't able to get it. And I, I think that razor's edge of. Of, of emotion in the second quarter kind of made the difference, to be honest with you. It allowed Clemson to jump out to that halftime lead and, and kind of kind of seize most of that momentum, even though Louisville seized a little bit of it back. Um, they weren't able to fully regain control of the game, and uh, that's that's kind of why Clemson came on victorious. Yeah, I, you know, uh, one, one thing I'd like to note really quick is uh, the defensive play of Ben Boulware. He was everywhere. 18 tackles, three tackles for a loss, and a sack on the day. So he was very active, as was Safety Van Smith with 13 solo tackles, 16 total tackles. But it was nice, also nice to see Deshaun Watson sort of spread the ball around evenly to his receivers. Uh, I know Deion Kane was his number one target, but uh, really nice to see Mike Williams back uh, and at full health again. He had 70 yards and a touchdown, but he threw his five touchdowns to four different receivers. So it was going to be really hard for the Louisville secondary to key in on one guy in that passing attack. So um, Wayne Gallman had a nice game on the ground as well, over 100 yards and a touchdown. So it was about time. Yeah, it was, it was definitely about time. So that's going to have to do it for us here on a quick Week 5 recap here on the Illegal Motion podcast. So uh, we'll be back later this week while with a preview for Week 6. So make sure to check us out there. But on behalf of the coach, Corey Burton, in behalf yeah. of our intrepid blogger, Josh Cook, this is the professor, Matt Perkins, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. 
To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.